This is the What Matters Most podcast. A 100% listener-supported program. And now, here is your host, Paul Samuel Dolman. Welcome back to What Matters Most. Hey, thanks for everybody who tunes in all over the world. Hey, Portugal, I'm coming for you in Barcelona, Italy. Where else am I going? Copenhagen, Paris. I'll be one step ahead of the European authorities on my trek north to Norway. Coming to see you guys up there in Oslo. So, uh, hey, if you listen, send me an email or whatever. Maybe we can connect. Today, I have an interesting show for you. I've always been fascinated with hypnosis and dreams and lucid dreaming. And someone sent me this fantastic book, a great publicist named Lindsay. And it's from Drake Eastbourne. And he has got a book out called The Hypnotist Bible, but he has been at this for 30 years. He's written a ton of books, and he's just a real authority on this. And he's also very easy to talk to since we've been chatting like crazy already. It's a uh, an, it's an honor to have Drake on. Welcome to the show for the first time, Mr. Drake Eastburn, man. Thanks for coming on. Hey, thank you. Uh... First thing I thought is, how did you get involved in all this? How did you ever get so deeply invested in hypnosis and learn all about this? You know, it's a real funny thing. Uh, I kind of got involved in it as a part of my own personal growth back in the early 70s. And I I did the Silva method back then. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but a lot of people had done the Silva method. And it's still around. It's now uh, part of the Mind Valley uh, group. Uh, but it was a form of hypnosis. And it was actually uh, Jose Silva originally called it... Um, uh, Silva mind control because he thought hypnosis had a bad <laughs> connotation to it, <laughs> but mind control wasn't any improvement. So they eventually changed it to uh, the Silva method, and um, or just Silva, and it's it's still around. And but I came from a very uh, negative, dysfunctional uh, family, and I, and Silva's kind of mantra was, you know, change your mind, change your life, and I really took that to heart, and I really did uh, turn my life around, and using these hypnosis methods. Also, I was a uh, migraine sufferer back then, and I used hypnosis methods to get rid of the migraines, and I've never had a migraine since. I've helped a lot of people get rid of theirs, and, um, and the methods that I was using back then were very slow and boring, but now uh, I can speeded this up tremendously, so it's a lot easier on uh, people. Uh, and I took everything that Silva had to offer, and I looked for other classes and things back then. And sometimes that meant going to the East Coast or the West Coast or Las Vegas or wherever I could find classes going on. And then I... They had some classes at Colorado Free University. Well, actually, it was Denver Free University at the time. And I got to know the instructor and one of the other students there. And we actually went into business together using hypnosis methods to create wealth. And uh, we did pretty well at that. And I uh, eventually was uh, uh, accumulating these various uh, credentials. And I, and I thought, you know I could make a living doing this. And I hung out my shingle and I didn't know much about, there wasn't any really people in, around at the time who were, I mean, there were names in the phone book, but most of them weren't 
huge hugely successful that I could model after anything so I just kind of had to do whatever it took and pretty soon I was the biggest guy in town and I became associated with a school and then part owner and director of education in another school and um, in 1999 I was at a convention in New Hampshire I met my wife Lindsay and uh, she's from Toronto she was living in Chicago at the time and we got married shortly thereafter and then she came in uh, to Denver area and uh, we uh, went into practice together and eventually uh, opened our own school and we've been uh, teaching around the world really we've taught in Europe a number of times and Australia uh, the Caribbean Canada of course and U.S. and uh, even uh, Japan so uh yeah uh and it's it's been going great guns ever since so uh it's i kind of was the guy who found the pony by accident you know like that and kind of fell into this i didn't get up one day as a kid and go gee i want to grow up to be a hypnotist but it, it all did fall into place what's the history of it how long has it been around how did it develop so actually hypnosis has been around as, as long as people have been around, as far as I can tell, you know, I mean, uh, what we consider to be uh, the uh, father of modern hypnosis, or not the father, but the first modern hypnotist would be Anton Mesmer. And uh, but prior to that, I mean, shamans and, and uh, witch doctors and things have been using uh, hypnosis for ever since, you know, in form of incantations and drumming and uh, ceremonies and things like that which are uh and re religions and there was the uh, sleep temples way way back in e egyptian time even where they were using these uh, uh states uh to promote uh healing and like that so it's been with us for a long time uh, like I say, Mesmer is recognized as being the first modern hypnotist, and and he was actually a magnetist. Um, back in those days, uh, before we had television and like that, why these pieces of metal that had attractions and repulsions to each other were qu quite uh, entertaining, and they were believed to have some curative healing powers. And Mesmer was using these magnets uh, thinking that this was causing the healings, but what was really causing the healings was the power of suggestion that he was using. Uh, he was, uh, some of it was very interesting stuff that he was doing. I won't go into it too deep, but at one point he was hang, uh, magnetizing ponds and trees and people would hug the trees and um, and get better. But it also led to this kind of uh, a problem because a news reporter saw that somebody was some people were hugging trees that he hadn't make magnetized and yet they were getting the the healing responses but they, they didn't understand nobody understood really what was going on but it was more the power of suggestion that was doing the job not so much the the trees but it was kind of neat you talked about working with migraines and other stuff like that if done properly it really has almost an endless upside on on so many things, right? Yeah, especially when you consider that hypnosis doesn't isn't associated with the, any uh, negative side effects like uh, medications are. It, it really uh, 
really is a huge improvement. You know, I had a young guy who came to me not too long ago. He was a, a really a champion uh, basketball player. And uh, he'd gotten a scholarship to play basketball at a college, but he, he couldn't play because of these, these migraines. And he was just beside himself. He wanted to get his life going. He wanted to get his college experience going and back to being on the court. And it, it was just, it, it had him devastated. And, uh, you know, he came in to see me. I did some hypnosis with him and I did a two or three sessions with him, which for just uh, migraines, that's kind of uh, a lot. But I, uh, that was kind of the way we were doing it. But he came in, for, I think it was for his second session. And he just, he just sat down and he was just bawling. And he goes, he says, I just can't believe it that, that these migraines are gone. And he said, I can get my life back in uh, moving ahead again. And, and, and it's true. And these kind of, these kind of things happen. You know, those, those migraines can be a way that uh, just rules our life, or they can be uh, partially created by ourselves. We don't even realize it, but we might create an expectation. You probably heard people go something like, oh, every Monday morning I get up with a headache. Well, what are they doing? They're programming their own subconscious mind that this is going to happen. And the mind is going, yeah, okay, we can do that. We've done it before. We'll do it again. But the mind keeps heading down that path until pretty soon we've created a, a neural pathway to where every morning morning we get up and there's that there's that headache there. So kind of my job is to write, create a new neural pathway and and a much better, healthier one and send the mind off in that direction. Once the mind learns it can do something and it experiences that, it'll tend to keep uh, going in that direction. And that's true for a lot of things. You know, we have an expectation or we've created expectation in our world that may not be working in our favor. You know, it may be the expectation that we are doomed to poverty or that, you know, we're never going to amount to anything or whatever. But we can overcome those kinds of beliefs. And, uh, you know, in my own world, I was raised as the stupid kid. I, my older brother, he was smart. They made sure that he went to a good school and all that and for me they kind of made sure that i could get a good grip on a shovel handle because they figured that's about as far as i was going to get <laughs> but um you know through silva and uh, hypnosis i was able to get beyond all that that programming in the uh, early on in life and it's it really is the stuff that happens to us early on that is formative that uh, uh creates those those barriers that you know wouldn't seem like it seemed like well i'm an adult i know better than this but it doesn't matter <laughs> we've already got it locked in to the subconscious jake did you ever read many lies many masters where brian weiss where he took people back and they started remembering past lies what's your take on all that yeah so yeah i'm kind of really familiar with his stuff and uh you know when i first read that book i'm going Boy, this guy is not a very good hypnotist, <laughs> but what he had was a really good client. And uh, there's a lot I know about that book that went on behind the scenes uh, that the reader isn't aware of. And that is, uh, for instance, he did not at the time know how to move somebody in trance, you know. And so he goes back in time and this gal uh, is in some other past life and she's churning cream or uh, yeah. 
And, uh, you know, so then I'll get, well, what are you doing now? Churn and train. Well, you can, this can go on for a long time, you know, churn and cream. You have to know how to move uh, the person past things that are not relevant to what's uh, going on. And after he uh, wrote that book, he went and trained with a good friend of mine, Jerry Kine, down there in uh, Deland, Florida. I don't know. Maybe that's close to where you are. But uh, afterwards, when I would read uh, Weiss's books, I could see you could hear Jerry's voice in there in his uh, hypnotic language and everything. Uh, and it was, it was, uh, it was an interesting thing, but yeah, uh, uh, I used to hear from uh, Brian Weiss from time to time. He would send me uh, clients, not, not because we're like good buddies or something, but probably we travel in some of the same circles and he had my name in his Rolodex or something. I don't know. <laughs> Do you believe in reincarnation? Do you think there's pretty good evidence that it exists? Have you had any personal experience? I don't believe in belief, but other than that, I, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like to me, and people ask me that from time to time, and I go, it, it really doesn't matter. I don't have to believe in gravity for it to work. And there are some hypnotists, they'll go, uh, especially the, the more academic types, they'll go, well, past lives don't exist, so, you know, but the thing is, if you're a hypnotist, you need to know about past lives. You need to be able to help your client uh, because, uh, you know, what if you're working with a client and they go into a spontaneous past life regression? Well, if you don't know how to deal with them, you've just lost an opportunity to help this person. And to me, that's more important than anything. A lot of times people say that the past lives are a, a metaphor. and you know, we use metaphor all the time with the subconscious. It's the way that it communicates. So I'm not uh, 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 opposed to that. And uh, it is a tool that, and I'll use any tool if it's going to help me to help the client. And and that's one of them. I don't like to get into the debate of are they real or are they not real? Because it's, it's a, a very uh, difficult animal to prove one way or the other. So, but people believe in a lot of things and, and, uh, you know, if they come in and they have some bizarre beliefs, unless as long as they're high functioning people, I'm going to go along with it and I'm going to help them the best that I can. That's my job. Not my job isn't to judge uh, somebody, but to use the tools that I have to help them to be a better whatever they want to be. Once uh, I I was in a hypnosis training many years ago and and there was a question on a test and it said, you know, if this 52-year-old guy comes to you and he wants to be uh, an Olympic uh, marathon champion, let's say, uh, what do you do? And their their answer was, well, you shouldn't try to have somebody do something that's beyond their potentials or abilities or whatever. And I said, why not? I said, who knows? I, this guy might be the, the the world's only 50-some-year-old Olympic marathon champion. I was like... Uh, if he wants the help, I'm, I, who am I to judge, you know? And and that's the thing. As hypnotists or anything, we need to get our own biases out of the way uh, to be of the most help to somebody. Talk about lucid dreaming. Can you first define it, at least by your your standards? Stephen LeBurge uh, was the guy. He's like, I think he's the biggest name in lucid dreaming out there. And this would have been in the early 90s. And um, 
I was reading his stuff and um, he said, you know, when you're in a dream, look at your hands. And once you look at your hands, you can begin to control the dream. He says, but he says it can take weeks uh, before people get to a place where they can start doing that. So I went to bed that night. I start dreaming. I look at my hands and boom. And now I'm in control of the dream. Now, uh, you know, this is great, especially for people who, you know, maybe they have dreams that are um, a disturbing type of thing or whatever. But it helps you to take uh, control in those dreams so that you're not having up with nightmares and, and things like that. Um, but and I, I don't recall him talking about this or others, but one of the things that I noticed is, well, two things. One is, one of my uh, thoughts on hypnosis is that for hypnosis to occur, there needs, needs to be at least a tiny bit of consciousness. So if we're in a dream and we're controlling it, then there's got to be a little bit of consciousness present. So now the dream isn't just a, a lack of conscious uh, mental activity, now becomes a form of self-hypnosis. And we're actually helping ourselves by creating these more positive images. In fact, I'm saying it has a very therapeutic quality to it because what we're doing is we're training our own mind to take control in various situations so that out in our external world, we tend to take better control, set better boundaries, and like that. And, uh, and, and another thing about this is um, people could be making good use of their dream states like this, but also there's what we call the hypnagogic state, which is a state that we enter into as we're falling asleep. And this is a very... Um, a state where we're very suggestible. The subconscious is very suggestible to the information that comes in. So it's a great time to be uh, uh, giving yourself positive suggestions, creating positive images as you drift off to sleep or playing uh, recordings of your uh, positive affirmations, things like that. It's also a time when it's really good to not be watching the evening news or reading the newspapers or things like that, because, you know, you fall dozing off and here you're getting all this negative input into your subconscious. And that was one of the things that uh, Silva Method used to, to promote a lot was they would go, don't watch the news, don't read newspapers. And I really took that to uh, heart. And, um, uh, even to this day, I don't watch the news or read newspapers. People go, well, how do you know what's going on in the world? And I go, try not to know. We are so bombarded with this stuff. It would be difficult to not know. And if there's seems like if there's anything I really need to know, it, it, it comes my way. Somebody will tell me or whatever. So I'm not too worried about it. But I, I really avoid that negative input in those deep states. We also... As we uh, come out of it, or uh, as we awaken in the morning, we uh, go through what we call a hypnopompic state, which again is a state where we're very suggestible. And um, uh, the problem is that so often we uh, wake up with an alarm clock or we jump out of bed and start uh, uh, running around getting things done that we don't 
wake up slowly enough to take uh, make use of that. And I, I said, I, well, I need to create a uh, an alarm clock that when it goes off, it's me giving you a lot of positive suggestions and stuff about how your day is going to be. I mean, would start off our world every morning in a little nicer sort of a way. So be be nice to yourself in the morning, you know, try to wake up more gradually. Also, that's a time, you know, a lot of people go, well, I don't remember my dreams. Uh, that's often one of the reasons why they don't is because uh, they wake up with an alarm clock or they wake up with a jolt. And it, it, if you wake up more gradually, you'll have to, you'll tend to carry those dreams uh, with you into the, into the world a bit and you can analyze them a little. Can we guide our dreams? Yeah. And that's what we're doing in lucid dreaming where we are guiding those dreams. You know, you know, if the monster's chasing us now, we're, we're we're devising some method we're gonna take care of the monster or whatever but our, our dreams are a way that the subconscious is communicating to us and the subconscious communicates through metaphor and um you know i remember when i was with my uh ex and that was a long long time ago but i kept having these dreams of trying to escape and my it's like my feet were stuck in mud and i couldn't get away and like that but, I, you know, once I left her, those dreams stopped. And so when we're having continuing dreams, it's a subconscious telling us that that we need to pay attention, that we need to uh, make a change. And if we're having nightmares, it's the subconscious going, hey, wake the hell up, pay attention. You need to you need to take action here. And, uh, you know, it's not that we're actually going to get eaten by a lion, but it is a, a, an image that. Uh, uh, is telling us that, that change needs to happen. We need to move, make uh, something different go on in our world. Otherwise, those dreams that have a tendency just continue on. And there, there you go. I get a lot of visitations from my parents who passed away and others. And it's as real as talking to you or having dinner with someone else. And when I asked my dad, wait, hang on. When I asked my dad about it, um, he said, oh, it's not, this isn't a dream. This is an interdimensional interaction. And I thought that resonated. So that's more what we call a prophetic dream or something. When somebody comes to us and gives us information, that's, you know, they're coming through your subconscious. Is you know, probably you're more intuitive or psychic than most. And so you're more aware of those things that, that, that come to you. That's, that's great. Uh, most of my dreams are adventures. I love my dreams. <laughs> I'm always, you know, I'm in the wilderness or I'm somewhere exploring something all the time. I, and that's part of my nature, I guess. But that's what I what I tend to do all night long. But I still wake up feeling rested. So. <laughs> A lucid dream. I've had people who have literally traveled and told me about stuff where they left. In the dream, they left and they were lucid and then they could go like, travel and be in states far away and were able to describe what they saw is that lucid dreaming or is that a different type of dreaming yeah what they might actually be doing is um astral travel astral projection yes yeah and they're just doing it naturally you know in hypnosis we can take you on an astral projection type of uh journey or whatever but this, uh, some people are probably just doing it naturally and uh, I've been studying some of this astral projection stuff lately, and I've done a lot of it in the past. Um, and 
some people say that astral projection is an out-of-body experience. But I've had out-of-body experiences, and I will say that for me, they have not been at all the same, that an out-of-body experience was extremely different. And however, and I've been studying this, and I think I can uh, create an out-of-body experience through hypnosis. Uh, I've been kind of playing with this notion. But most of the uh, out-of-body experiences that I have had were out of uh, more of a physical, emotional distress. And uh, I used to be an ultra-distance runner. And I would sometimes have an out-of-body experience. Um, uh, one that was very distinct um, was I was uh, running the Pikes Peak Marathon. And I was, uh, and that's a little over 28 miles long up. You know, you start off at, I think, around 6,000 feet. And you go up over 14,000 feet. And then you turn around and come back on a on a trail. And um, as I was getting, oh, a few miles from the end, I'm running along. It feels like I'm kind of slightly above and behind myself. And I can hear, I can hear, I can hear my feet hitting the, the ground, uh, but it's like it's way off in the distance, and and all the pain, all the discomfort, everything it was like I was oblivious to that. It was totally gone, and I'm thought, oh man, I'm having an out of body experience. And about that time, boom, I <laughs> go back into my body and go, well, that. So then I kept going, and pretty soon I went out of the body again, and I just continued along that way. And I know I had the thought, man, I can run all the way to Kansas. This is no problem, <laughs> you know, no problem. And I, I've, I've had that uh, a number of times. And when we're under great physical or emotional distress, those out-of-body experiences is an for extreme form of dissociation, no doubt. Uh, but it's the way that we uh, we escape those kind of things. Now, I was doing, uh, I had several while I was running, and that was one of the more uh, uh, definitive kinds of ones. But I was uh, uh, getting certified as a, uh, in a system of breath work, which is uh, similar to Stanislav Grof's uh, breath work. And um, in the, I, most of the people in this class had experienced this form of uh, breath work, but, uh, but I hadn't when I got there. And after the first session that we practice session we did, I go, you know, a lot of people are wasting a lot of money on drugs when they could be doing something like this. And towards the end of class, I mean, most of the time we were doing, we we're demonstrating on each other and like that and practicing. But a lot of times we'd be laying on the floor or on a uh, like a massage table or things like that. But towards the end of class, they were doing an experiment or well, it was part of the training, an exercise is what I want to say. And uh, where we were demonstrating how you could do this work with somebody sitting in just a straight back chair. Uh, because, you know, some people, you know, may have physical issues where they can't lie back comfortably and be stretched out. Or sometimes people who are very overweight, you know, they can't breathe that well if they're laying flat out. So we were demonstrating how you could do this uh, in a just a sitting in an upright position. So I had all these exercises. Every day I get up in the morning, I do these breathing exercises. And 
at the end of the exercises, there's a place where you hold your breath. And so when I'd start to hold my breath, I'd look at my watch. And uh, and I was holding my breath for over eight minutes at a time doing these exercises. And I mean, that seems fantastic. But when you're doing these breathing exercises, you're, ex you're uh, oxygenating your body to such an extreme extent that you can go without a breath for quite some time. It's what these uh, free divers do who dive without tanks to these depths and like that. That's what they're doing to get there. But anyway, we're demonstrating this in these chairs, just sitting up and I'm listening to the instructions and I'm sitting there and I'm breathing. And we're not very far into the exercise when I'm starting to feel these euphoric like sensations. And so I, I look at my watch and I take a breath and I hold it. And it was just freaking amazing. It felt so good. And I'm just like, man, I'm just going to stay here. And then I feel this whack on the side of my head. And I have the thought, you know, that's kind of rude. And I just keep sitting there feeling good. And then I hear voices and people are fussing around me and like that. And I'm, and so when I open my eyes, there's my body is laying on the floor. I'd fallen out of the chair and hit my head, but my experience was I'm still sitting in the chair <laughs> and these people are trying to help me. And it's like, hey, I'm over here. I'm feeling good. <laughs> but uh, so I finally, you know, got back into my chair and everything. And then I asked one of the training assistants to stand behind me because I wanted to get back to this place because it felt so good. But you know, once you're trying to get there, then it, it never seems to happen. And I've tried to get back using that method since, and I haven't had much luck with it, but I'm starting to play with it again. How can the listener tap in and use these techniques? So an easy thing for them to do is to take advantage of that hypnagogic state uh, as they go off to sleep. You know, um, Emil Kue, who was... Uh, who we call the, the father of applied conditioning, um, he would give his clients uh, prescriptions. Now, he'd been a, a, a druggist and a chemist, so that was kind of the terminology that he used. But his prescriptions were really um, positive affirmations that he would give them to repeat. And uh, he did do it in a, in a hypnotic state at times. A lot of it was done in a more conscious state, or he would have them do it at night as they were falling asleep to take advantage of this hypnagogic state. And that would be a good place for um, people to start. Also, there are some free downloads on my website that would be good to tap into. And there's there's uh, positive suggestions, uh, affirmations and things. There's stuff about uh, uh, abundance, creating abundance in your life. And some of these are meant to be played at night, you know, so... Uh, that's good. And there's some for stress reduction, things like that. So that'd be a great place to start. Or reading my book, What is Hypnosis Really, would give you a really good understanding of kind of what's going on and, and like that. Obviously, with all these metaphysical and expanded experiences, I'm probably on the money thinking you don't see yourself just as a uh, carbon-based life form that comes here and that's it. <laughs> You know, I uh, I explore I explore that a lot, and uh, and there's just there's a lot going on, and it's just our subconscious mind is like it's vast, 
you know it's like it's like the universe you know it's like well we'll probably never know what all goes on in the universe but but our our subconscious is like that and there's a lot we can explore and, and there's things going on here uh, recently i had a a client where i worked with him and we used uh ketamine therapy and hypnosis in conjunction uh to work with his particular issue now i don't know uh i mean his uh, what he had going on was pretty uh extreme but you know experimenting with things like this um could lead to you know who knows what all you know it's like uh but i'm like open to all kinds of things you know uh uh, it's like um, whatever comes in, you know, I'm go- I'm going to work with it. And it's like early in my career, I got a lot of things that, you know, you don't read about in any hypnosis book, you know. You know, uh, early on, well, down in uh, Trinidad, Colorado, there was um, a doctor there and he was doing uh, sex change operations. And I think he was the only place in the whole United States where you could get it at that time. And Trinidad, this became the main industry down in Trinidad. But I was getting a lot of these people uh, that were going through these sex change operations and they were coming to me first. And, you know, there's no hypnosis manuals or anything that teaches you what to do with something like that. But I've always found that these things that are unusual, you know, really uh, test my abilities as a hypnotist. And they're very rewarding kinds of experiences so i don't you know i don't poo poo anything that comes through the door you know it's you know i mean i do look that make sure you're mentally healthy but other than that uh we're gonna work you know i've had people that were came in from uh alien abductions and things like that and you know um somebody with a more leading uh hypnosis style might come up with something but it would be what we would call pseudo uh and so far, I would love to see this. One of these people was abducted by aliens and like that. But so far, that hasn't happened. We're not worth the trouble, man. They're not going to take <laughs> I wonder. Pink up the ship with a freaking low-grade mammal? Yeah, really. <laughs> They're better off with a big, giant tank. They wouldn't even take a porpoise. They don't want to disturb anything. They're just watching. Yeah, you know, if if people are have uh, evolved, I don't know if that's even the right word, but if they have, you know, if they have the knowledge and ability to travel through space like we think they can, why would they even be uh, interested? Why would we be even interesting to them? You know, it's like they'd be so far beyond us. <laughs> but uh, it, it's it's fun to speculate. Any fear of your own death, or did you see it as a portal into these other realms? No, you know, it's like uh, death is a close friend to me. And as I get older, it gets to be a, a better-looking friend all the time. You, you know, I used to do a, follow a lot of um, Ram Dass' stuff, and he used to do a lot of talks on death and dying. And there was, a, what's the guy, Peter Levine, he has some books out about that, but... Uh, you know, uh, it's going to happen. We can be afraid of it if we want, but, you know, it, it, and uh, I'll tell you, I was, uh, my stepson uh, was, uh, we were res- 
recently visited him in uh, the in a uh, in a apartment. Well, I was like thirty floors up in Chicago, and a balcony you could step out onto. And I just had this. Wouldn't it be great to just jump off that balcony? Because that'd be such a rush fall, falling through the air. Uh, you know, except uh, it kind of would come to an abrupt end, but, you know, but knowing that is kind of a rush. Yeah, I'm not that attached to uh, this plane of existence. Uh, and it's to me, I look at everything as an adventure. And I don't know what that adventure is going to bring. It's it, all we can do is speculate. And the, th the thing is, if you explore it, you're not going to be able to bring that information back with you too easily. I mean, we do have these experiences of, you know, in fact, I've been studying a lot of hoodoo and, and they do a lot of that communication with, uh, you know, past relatives and stuff like that. Uh, and, and uh, you know, Harriet Tubman, I don't know if you're familiar with her, but yeah, but she used hoodoo and she used psychic abilities and things to uh get these um and i'm going to say slaves they didn't like being referred to as slaves they thought of themselves more as prisoners back then but she never lost one of these people this little woman you know little gal and she got all these people mostly up to st catherine's ontario but uh but she was using her mental abilities uh hoodoo and uh conjurings and things and uh, and I found it fascinating. What would you like everyone to know one thing that they could do today that would at least put their life in a more positive trajectory, more productive trajectory? So I would say a good thing is just listen to your own self-talk. How do you, how do you talk about yourself? Do you talk to yourself like I'm a success or it's like I'm doomed to failure or I'm like, I won't be able to pay the bills or whatever. And, and look at how you're talking to yourself because you're, you're, you're giving your subconscious mind suggestions and you, you might as well be nice to yourself. You might as well give yourself good suggestions. Think of yourself in a positive way. You know, if if your family is traveling home to you and you're worrying all the things that could go wrong, they could get caught in a storm. They could be in an accident. You, you could worry about all those things. That doesn't improve anything. Yeah, it may not mean that they're going to meet some hor horrible uh, demise or something, but you're not improving any situations by thinking that way. You know, imagine them arriving at walking through the door and giving you hugs and 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 preparing a meal for them you know like that um that's a lot more positive way and uh you're, you're putting you know positive energy out there and you're expecting you're creating an expectation which is what we do in hypnosis a lot is create an expectation that some positive change is occurring You've been listening to the What Matters Most podcast, a 100% listener-supported program. If you feel inspired, please go to our Patreon page at www.patreon.com backslash whatmattersmost and join our family. So until the next time, stay inspired and in the light. <laughs>